This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? 9.36, Friday the 9th of June, and of course you're listening to The Morning Run. This segment is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits that you might have missed where you get to see Mark Tan, Philips, Philip C and Wong Xiaoning unleash themselves on listeners. What are we unleashing? Can I just clarify? <laughs> all the news that okay. we just cannot get over or things right. that just still tickle, tickle us until Friday. Um, First off, let's talk about flying, right? Philip, one of your favourite things to do, you were telling flying. us about your day your day trip to Singapore, buzzing <laughs> in and buzzing out. Yes. Uh, but thanks to people like you, airline financial performance is close to what it was pre-pandemic levels, almost there. IATA is projecting net profitability in 2023 to $9.8 billion US dollars. And I think every airline is rushing out to put orders for non-existent planes. <laughs> Yeah, so this comes at the back of Singapore Airlines reporting a record annual profit of 1.63 billion US dollars. And over here in Malaysia, Malaysian Airlines saw its best ever quarter performance with a record net profit after interest and tax of 1.46 billion. Uh, interestingly enough, if you look across to the northern border in Thailand, they are planning to launch four new airlines with really cool airlines starting operations with a fleet of Airbus A330 and A350. Just to clarify, really cool airlines is actually the real name of the airline. It's actually called really cool airlines. It's not really cool that they have an airline. It's actually called really cool airlines. I think that tickles Thanks me. Thanks for that very, I just thought it was very important, important clarification. I think it's just very important to clarify that. I think it's so interesting that as you see profitability for the airline industry improve, then of course it lures a lot of new airlines into the market and that's no exception here in Malaysia. We've got My Airlines. Uh, I think SKS Airways also just signed an order for Embraer Aircraft. And there's a talk of a Sarawak-based airline as well. Exactly. So this is a result, right, that when I think an industry does very well, then people see perhaps some attractiveness to that. But one of the key things that margins are still very low for the mm. airline industry, you're talking about low single digits, still not covering its weighted average cost of capital. So challenges there still. And the good thing that uh, is, well, at least the, the, the kind of silver lining on this cloud that is just starting to clear up is that aviation fuel hasn't gone up that much, right? Mm. So that has helped definitely the airline industry. Definitely. But what happens if, let's say, Brent Crude inches up 100, above 100 US dollars and jet fuel will definitely follow suit, isn't it? Mm. Uh, but the other thing I think when we talk about airlines is is it always going to be, and I'm going to be more philosophical here, a bit of a boom and bust, you know. So when industry, you know, when the market is good, tourism numbers are back, and there are funders, then you suddenly see a, a, a rash of new airlines. But yeah. realistically, how many really survive? It's a tough business, right? So many things are against you. You can't control jet fuel prices. You are a price taker. You will always have competition. And the competition, some of them have extremely deep pockets. And if you're talking about the Middle East airlines, right, who are funded by their all money, the state has ambitions there. So they play a different game altogether. Then, of course, you have natural disasters, like yep. in New York, for example. Planes can't fly out because of this haze. So I, I don't know why. For me, I'm always puzzled why there's still interest for people to put money into airlines and start new ventures. It's the lure of owning one, I think. It's just it's like feels, a football team, it's is like it? owning a football team. It feels very sexy to own an airline, right? Like to connect and travel and move people around, jet setting kind of thing. So perhaps it's, that's the lure of it. Perhaps. But the cost is so onerous to start one. I mean, those leases... 
to yeah. start an airline, I'm, I'm sure those per plane is not cheap. Well, so airlines may come and go, but the two benefactors of all this demand is obviously Boeing and Airbus, which supposedly their order books are so huge. There's an 11-year waiting list mm. for their planes, especially for the single aisle aircraft. Right, So the duopoly of uh, Boeing and Airbus is now being threatened or potentially threatened because China has launched their first commercial plane, Commercial Aviation Corporation of China, with the C919, which just took flight uh, last month. What do you think? Do you think it has legs to move, Mark? Do you think the this Chinese C919 will be able to penetrate new markets? Well, I think so because the talk is most of its components are from Boeing and Airbus. They just build the frame, but the electronics so and navigation... Yes. Is that what you're saying? It's is a bit it of a, a CKD. Is it a... <laughs> CKD. <laughs> Proton, the early protons which were actually Mitsubishi's, is that is that Ooh, a right comparison? I think you're entering very hot water. <laughs> In those early days, early days. I'm not saying the proton today. The early days, okay. Perhaps. Uh, but we did have a discussion about this, and you can check our conversation, check up our conversation, on, of course, on the BFM app, or of course on our website. It was entitled "Global Aviation Turns a Corner, but Headwinds Remain." Uh, so do tune in about that. We had a more serious discussion. But let's talk about something a bit more fun, which I think only you do, Mark, which is about golf. You don't play golf, do you, Philip? Nope. Yes, I play golf every weekend and golfers fly private jets as well. Are you, you one know? of those? Unfortunately not. Do you fly private jets to it's, different golf courses all around the region? It's, by the way, it's environmentally unfriendly. Unfriendly. Yes. So after two years of feuding and lawsuits and you know personal insults being thrown around, Live Tour and the Saudi Public Investment Fund are now coming together after announcing plans to merge with the PGA and DPA Tour. Now, Promises of three billion US dollars to be invested in this new tour has been mooted around. Now, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan will be the CEO, and Yasser R. Rumayan, Governor of the Saudi Public Investment Fund, will be chairman of this for-profit new co. I wonder what the professional golfers are thinking. Presumably, the live golfers would be super happy because of the distribution. But what about the existing PGA golfers? They must be fuming mad. Would they be fuming mad? Because suddenly, the prize pool money won't be more than ever. And then you'll be able to play every single tournament out there. You won't have to choose a camp. The PGA golfers be fuming mad because they did not take up the live offer. Because live. Oh, so they missed out on that bonus. They missed out on that 100 million signing on bonus where live golfers got. And Phil Nicholson. It was rumored to have two hundred million, and Tiger Woods was rumored to have been offered four hundred million. Okay, so you know what you should do, everyone. If you have children, train them to be golfers. Because when I hear that sum of money, my goodness, there's so much money involved in golf. It's, it's a lucrative sport yeah. for sure. I mean, the distribution and the the television rights are huge. I mean, Mark, do you watch golf? I mean, in, in how exciting is it? Golf? All I see are people walking, walking on the green, and then they whack a ball, and then they walk, walk, walk along green. I'm going to get so much hate mail for you this. You are going to. But I, I was like, is it? Is it more a game that you enjoy playing versus watching? Well, there's two things about golf, right? One is golf is a lifetime sport. So yeah. if you become a professional golfer, you can actually play golf all the way up to your 60s and 70s and there's still be a huge uh, viewing. But I think to be fair, a lot of golfers now are paying their attention to the ladies' professional golf, mm. where I think the interest on female golfers has picked up recently a lot. But this deal also has bring, has brought up questions about sports washing. Let's introduce a new term, sports washing, right? Because the biggest funder of this Live Golf tournament is the Saudi Arabia uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund. Correct. And that's why initially many PGA golfers did not want to go over because of these concerns about human rights abuses by Saudi Arabia. Hence why I think this re-merger back is causing a lot of consternation. What I think is interesting, you know, you were saying, Mark, about and Johnny, about the women's golf. I think golf 
golf is a very interesting alternate sport and I see a lot of professional sports players for other sports mm. actually take up golf as a second game once they retire from their main sport even right? when they continue playing games right their, their core game like President Barack Obama, Obama he loves playing golf it's like a great balm for the current high stress environments they're in I, so does that mean I should go and run out and get myself a set of clubs you don't live a stressful life <laughs> Really? Maybe all I need is the golfing range and just pretend that those balls are y'all and just whack, 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 whack. But anyway, jokes aside, Saudi Arabia also, let's be frank, and they are not the only Middle East nation spending a lot of money when it comes to sports, right? Because Saudi's been trying to attract the best talents when it comes to soccer, they're looking at tennis, they're looking at cricket, they're very serious about putting money into into sports. I mean, after Qatar hosted the World Cup yep. games. Grand Prix is one more example where I think there's a lot of money coming through. And what I think is very interesting is football sports clubs. Initially, there was also a lot of talk, right, about foreign, foreign companies investing, but you see also very famous players moving beyond Europe. Okay, we're heading into some messages. We'll come back with a look at the local news that has kept us exciting. Excited, excuse me. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 9.46, Friday the 9th of June. And thanks for staying tuned to The Morning Run. You're listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. So, gentlemen, let's talk about this mythical creature that you and I have never seen, <laughs> although we read about it. And usually girls do love it. It's called the unicorn. But it exists. Some of it exists uh, for co- some companies because we're going to be talking about Kasim. And um, this is a story from news portal Tech and Asia. They say that Kasim is petitioning Malaysian minister in bid to raise 55 million, is it million US dollars uh, before their IPO. And an IPO is back on the table for them. Well, it's trying to say, as you said, raise about 15 million US dollars in fresh funds. It sent a letter to Deputy Finance Minister Stephen Sim seeking support. I wonder why do they need to go and reach out to the Minister of Finance, Ministry of Finance for support. Now, just putting the numbers in place, if you recall, they are on this verge of becoming this mythical creature unicorn. That means a valuation of 1 billion ringgit, if I'm... US, US 1 billion. US 1 US billion ringgit. So, really, with 45 million US dollars contra- contrarian to the value that we are understanding them to mm. be approaching, I wonder how big this fundraising exercise is and how important it is to IPO through this way. Well, Custom has also issued a statement actually and they say that their newly established retail line Custom certified contribute to 35% of total revenues. They are in, you know, in okay financial health, more than okay because they say they have a robust liquidity position of over 150 million and it gives them sufficient runway before a break even point which they have said on air with us because they just had a breakfast grill in April uh, and that they said they were on the pathway to breaking even and they would actually probably be making some money towards year end if not next year yeah because they had a really tough last year right Mark yeah so if they're going to break even end of this year why do they need this 55 million US dollars is it confirmed that they really need the 55 million US dollars though Mm. I mean this is a rumour from this news portal well it's a story from a a news portal but whether or not but again if it's true it is a valid question right i mean the quantum is so small relative to the perceived valuation and just to set some context uh, they did raise money i think uh, early last year to a tune of about 290 million dollars and it was really the marquee right you mm. had the masik you had uh qatar investment authority there so if they have to go back to the market again clearly the funds have run out just speculating here but where is kazana in this has kazana invested in Kasim? 
Actually, I'm not sure who the investors mm. are, uh, but they are looking to uh, look. Well, they are looking at a dual listing in Singapore and the US. I think that's what they're contemplating. Uh, in April last year, sources had told this Deal Street Asia that Custom had confidentially filed for a Nasdaq IPO and was looking to raise at a between three hundred to four hundred million at a valuation of around. Two billion US dollars, which is where that unicorn status does come from. The other interesting thing about Kasim is it reminds me of the whole Uber versus Grab battle here in Malaysia. Mm. And in Malaysia right now, you've got Kasim versus Mike Tuka. And they're both competing for the same set of customers. They're both opening up stores and they're basically overpaying for some of the prices of cars that they're buying before they sell it off. The big difference between Uber and Grab was that they did not have a common shareholder, which was, remind me who's the Japanese? Softbank. 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 So, in a way, uh, Uber departed from Southeast Asia, let Grab take over because at the shareholder level, they had something in common, right? Mm. But for Kasim, I think what is, it, is, it is a tough market because last year, there was a shortage of cars, right? So, you, you could sell whatever you had on your lot very easily. But the model is such that it needs to be capital in- intensive because normally, they buy the vehicles yeah. from you, they keep it on their, their lot, and then someone comes in and takes over that car and they make the spread. But is there still that demand out there? And if you haven't been able to sell your cars, you need to sort out that stock because otherwise you're going to have to write off inventory very, very quickly. Which I believe they did write off some inventory at the beginning of the year. But you are spot on shining. It's very much a used car business market. And we're looking at the latest MAA numbers. New cars in Malaysia have uh, returned back to pre-pandemic levels. So I think that's a very interesting point because like Proton came out with their numbers yesterday and they did exceptionally well for last month. Mm. Whether or not that prevails in the second half of this year when we expect some weakness in the market, that's the big question, right? Well, the second-hand car market also benefited from the fact that you couldn't get a new car. The waiting list was so long, right? You know, if you wanted a MyD, it was six months. You wanted an X70, it was like, you know, another six months. X50, another seven months. So people said, look, I need a car desperately. I'll just go and buy a second-hand one. But now if the car manufacturers are able to give you a car within one to three months, you know, maybe the demand for second cars is going to dry up. Very interesting point. So it's an indicator of the health of cars, the price of new cars, right? If you're seeing deep discounts, then you know they're in trouble. If you see long waiting lists, perhaps they will prevail and do pretty well. It also is not going to be helped by the fact that um, interest rates are going up. People feel maybe their belts are tightening, they don't want to upgrade yeah. their cars. And you don't change cars every year, right? So usually, what, a five-year car cycle? But in the meantime, shall we shift our attention to, you know, jokes that aren't funny? So I'm not talking about you, Philip, but uh, Singapore has apologised to Malaysia for the offensive remarks made by a stand-up comedian who used a US platform to run down Malaysia, including with what some say is a bad joke on the missing MH370 aircraft. Yeah, I think it's quite tasteless in my opinion. But if you look at the whole show entirely, it is very typical of some of the comedy satire you see coming out on the States, where it's a bit more hard-hitting versus Mm. the ones we are used here in Asia. I think the question here is where do you draw the line? And I think many Malaysians and Singaporeans also have felt that that line has been drawn here, that she has gone out of her, the within the acceptable boundaries of cultural norms. Although there are some people who have told you know us that we should lighten up a bit. Mm. But I think the issue here is that it's okay when you poke fun at cultural norms, if you poke fun at perhaps your quirks, but perhaps to talk about tragedies is a bit beyond the pales. And that's where I think it's got a bit of a pushback quite a lot. Correct. Yes. So we're referring to this uh, stand-up comedian, 
Jocelyn Chia. I think most of us probably received it via our WhatsApp. It's about a one and a half minute clip of her making some, I would say, yes, bad, uh, uh, bad jokes. But I also am curious why so many politicians have waded into mm. this, uh, you know, into this whole debate, including the Singaporean ministers who had to come and say she's not a Singaporean anymore. She has nothing to do with us. Uh, do we, you know, is this something that politicians need to actually kind of comment on or apologize for? I think that's a really interesting observation. If you notice in this case here, it wasn't the Malaysians coming out to saying they were they wanted an apology. Yeah? The Singaporeans were very fast to come out of the docket to say, hey, really sorry, bad joke. She's not Singaporean, by the way. So I found the Singaporean response very fast and rapid in this case here. Correct. So the Singaporeans have disavowed her. But what we did here over the, over the grapevine is that Amno Youth will be doing a march to the United States Embassy to protest over this joke. So I suppose if the Singaporean ambassador did not come out to say that, the march will be going to the Singapore side rather than the US side. Okay. Um, well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like, you know, it, it, honestly, we've given her a lot more fame than she really truly deserves. Yes. I think, uh, interestingly, I've seen some responses are like, you know, if you don't like her, why don't you go to the comedy review site and actually give mm. her a one star rating instead? Perhaps that's the best way, right? Actually, through the power of your vote. Yes. And not buy her tickets. Uh, in one quick news, which I think impacts me uh, because I like to cook. Well, the price of eggs and chicken in the market will be floated from July 1st onwards. This is our PSA to all who are going grocery shopping out there. But for me, it is a, a good thing. I'm not a big fan of artificial price barriers in one form or another. Uh, but the Com Domestic Trade and Cost of Living Ministry would control the prices of these two items uh, to ensure the supply of chicken and eggs in the market is stable after the subsidies end. So the question now is how much would it go up by once these subsidies are removed, right? Um, the other on the flip side is there's also been talk about sugar, subsidies being removed where previously the price of sugar was at uh, 285 from a previous uh, higher level of 295 and there's also some lobbying to remove those uh, price control caps <laughs> so you know i think mat sabu has a lot to do in terms of uh, controlling food security and food prices for the country I mean, broadly speaking, right, there's a whole discussion now intensifying over removal of subsidies. I mean, we just talked about last week, petrol subsidy removals for the T20. Now you're talking about food. The issue here is that with the petrol T, it was very targeted at the mm. T20. But now with the removal of these foods, are they, are they going to be selective or broad-based, right? Yeah, and you have to do it carefully because you also don't want inflation to go crazy, right? So it's the balancing act that really is critical. And for those vulnerable households, you do need to make sure that they are, that they're still getting what they need and perhaps cash handouts is the solution in the longer term. But that's all from the morning run or on WTF. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.